0: Bibles and go to 1 John chapter number 4, 1 John chapter number 4, ushers will make their way through uh, the congregation. If you did not receive a copy of the notes, please do uh, just raise your hand, they'll help you with that. And uh, again, thank you so much. It's great to have uh, Brad and Brittany Frazier here visiting from Alabama It was a privilege to marry them several years ago and he serves in our military and armed forces and we're so thankful for his service and uh, their faithfulness. I'm glad they're back today. I met Peter from Minnesota this morning and others and I'm just delighted that there's so many folks here today. If you are visiting with us, we do what we call expository preaching. We're preaching through the books of the Bible, and we're in 1 John. We've been in 1 John several months now, and uh, we're in chapter 4. We're going to read verses 7 through 12 in just a few moments. Um, and you will read the even verses, and I'll read those odd verses, and so don't get too comfortable. We're going to stand together in just a moment and read this passage of Scripture uh, together. I've entitled this morning's message, I Will Not Forgive, and um, I I don't know what there might be going on in your life, and there may be a rub with someone, there may be a, a, there's just this in your gut, like, I just don't like someone. There could be someone that you haven't spoken to in years, and you have no intention of speaking to them because they hurt you many years ago. Uh, And we, as Christians, we often allow just little things to get under our skin, or they say it can become a burr under your saddle, and it can just eat away at you, and it robs you of your joy, it robs you of your peace, and it breaks fellowship with God. Who do you need to forgive this morning? But you say, their name is right there. It's right there in your forehead. You, can, you see their face. You almost begin to see the, just hearing about that, that I will not forgive them. I will not forgive them. I will not forgive them. I invite you to listen carefully. And if you say, I have peace with all the people in my life I encourage you to listen and be reminded what the Word of God says about how that we're to keep our relationships correct as believers. There are two basic priorities in the life of every maturing Christian, and that is that one that he'll relentlessly pursue truth, and the other is that he'll actively love other people. Truth and love, they should be part of every believer's vocabulary. Three weeks ago, we examined verses 1 through 6 and learned how to to try, or the Bible says test, the spirits. And the reason we need to do that is because we need to pursue truth. And that brings us to verses 7 through 12 in our study. Let's stand together as we learn about the priority of love this morning, and I ask you to read... Uh, the even verses in this passage of Scripture, and I'll read the odd verses. Let's pick up in verse number 7. We we need to understand something this morning. We cannot separate truth and love. They are intricately linked. Now, there's a lot of people that try to separate those two. Uh, They can have a hammer when it comes to truth. Or they can, go, they can love to the point that, the, that truth gets lost. We cannot separate truth from love. And we're going to see that in the passage of Scripture that we are just about to read. I'll begin in verse number 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time, If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Father, as we enter into your presence once again, I cannot help but think that in a crowd this size with the number of people who are watching by live stream, that you have deliberately placed this order for this day to examine this passage of Scripture so that we might examine our own selves to see who we need to forgive. Who do we need to love? So, Father, help us to all have willing hearts, open ears, and receptive uh, minds. So, Father, I ask that you will bless this service, that your Holy Spirit would have total control. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the main tactics of the evil one, the devil, Satan, is to emphasize love without truth or vice versa. Love without truth produces a bland, ineffective liberalism, where truth without love produces a cold, divisive legalism. Jesus himself was fully the expression of truth and fully the expression of love. In fact, Ephesians 4 and verse 15 says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And when we learn to balance love and truth, we literally become like Jesus. How many of this morning would say in 2022, I would like to be more like Jesus? I know I would. Um, Every year I want to become more like him. Along the way, I will fail in that uh, uh, that journey, but I want to pick myself up and I want to be more like Jesus. In order to do that, I must learn to to balance love and truth. Uh, Literally, this means this passage of scripture means truthing in love, uh, truth encased in love, living the truth in love. And in this climatic section of this book of 1 John, John tells us that love is to be the priority in our lives. And uh, there's three basic reasons, and I'd like to examine those three priorities this morning, and they are simple. Priority number one is this, and every one of us, we can learn this, and maybe we even have a head knowledge of this, but priority number one is simply this, God is love. God is love. God, he is the origin, he's the source of true love. In verse number 7, we see the Bible says, love is of God. And in verse number 8, the Bible says, God is love. Therefore, we must conclude that since God is love, all true love must flow through and from him. John writes, God is love. Now, let's break that down. That doesn't mean love is something that God does, but love is who God is because He is love. Everything that He does is done in love, even His judgments. And then we could use this. Uh, we've examined this passage of Scripture before. And back in chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible says, God is light. And to be near Him is to walk in light. And so therefore, in the same sense, because God is love, when we abide in Him, we will naturally love others. God does not have to work at love. God does not have to conjure up love. God does not need those starving, uh, those pictures of the starving children in some other country to feel some type of sympathy or empathy to, to, to drum up love. And unlike people, God doesn't go looking for love. He doesn't fall into love one day and fall out of love the next day. He never says, I don't love you like I used to love you. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? God never says, I don't love you anymore. He doesn't go through these ups and down feelings that we often do because His very nature, the essence of His being is this. God is love. Can we say that together this morning? God is love. There's nothing that God does that is not loving because God is love. And because God is love, we can look at the other uh, second sub-point there. God's children, that's you and me, were to be loving. God's children are to be loving. In verse number 7, John writes, Beloved, let us love. He assures his readers of his love for them with the intimate title, beloved. And then he encourages them to follow his example. And in following his example, and that is this, that we love other people. John is a preacher and he was practicing what he preaches. And he he makes this argument. If God is love and love is of God, it only makes sense that as he wrote there, everyone that loveth is born of God. That means that we have a relationship with him. I don't want to repre. Months of messages, but the first step is relationship. We must have relationship. And then as we have relationship, we grow in our fellowship. That means knowing God. That's that fellowship with God. Um, Unbelievers, they can never act in true love. Those who are lost, they they can never act in true love. You might say, Pastor, I have a friend. I have a family member who makes no claim to Christianity, but he or she is a loving person. It is true that feelings are associated with love, and there's an earthly sense of love, but we know in the Word of God there's three different definitions of love. I'm not talking about that eros physical love this morning. I know that there are unsaved, the lost people that can have strong affection or strong feelings, but oftentimes those feelings can fade and leave and go away. In verse number eight. John writes this, uh, that there is that one who loveth not, that knoweth not God. In other words, it's, maybe it's possible to be born of God and not love. But listen, it is impossible to be a mature Christian, that is to know God, have fellowship with God, and to not love. A lack of maturity is seen in a lack of love. I want to be a Christian this year that demonstrates love. Because my God is love. I know believers, people in, who, in whom a passion for God that at once burned bright. But now they, they're characterized by bitter and resentful and angry and loveless feelings. And such a person, they might be saved. There might be enough evidence uh, that they're saved, but they no longer abide or they no longer have fellowship. That fellowship somewhere along the way has been severed. And, And it could be that there's someone here this morning. You know that you're saved. What does that mean to be saved? You know that there was that time that you trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You received that gift of what we talked about over Christmas. You know that you're saved, but along the way... You've lost that burning, bright enthusiasm for your salvation. Your fellowship has been severed as you've lost love for other people. And I I want you to be reminded this morning that God's love should be visibly evident in your life. Uh, There's too many Christians, perhaps some here this morning, you're like a sponge. You've been taking in, taking in, taking in, but you've never been giving out The love that we're talking about this morning. John here he writes, he says the believers that we're to love one another. Why is that? Because God is love and he lives in us and he gives us the ability to love as he loves. And if God is truly in you, he wants to love through you. What a great concept. Romans 5, verse 5 says this the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. Now he wants his love to be poured out into our lives. Let's be be reminded, God is love. The Bible does not say love is God with a little g. Just because you feel love for someone doesn't mean your emotions are from God. If you're married, there's far too many people that fell out of love, that chose not to love, and for some reason, therefore, went down a pathway of divorce and separation. May I just tell you, that's not part of God's love. If you're a believer and you think you've Fallen in love with an unbeliever. May I just tell you that's not love according to the truth of the word of God. Love is not God with a little g. But I want you to notice what I'm talking about this morning. God is not defined by love. Love is defined by God. May I say that again? God is not defined by love. Love is defined By God. Let's say that first point together this morning. God is love. You say it's so simple. Well, let's grasp that simple principle and it will change our lives. Priority number two. Because God is love, God loves us. God is love. And priority number two that I see in this passage of Scripture that John was writing is this. God loves us. Us. God demonstrated his love by sending Jesus Christ to this earth to be our Savior. So may I use that illustration to show you six areas, six Facets of God's love and how He loves us. First of all, God's love is visible. We see that in verse number 9. God's love is visible. God's love can always be seen. Verse number 9 says, In this was manifested the love of God. That means revealed. That means made known toward us. Biblical love is not a feeling or an emotion. It's a decision to act. It's an action that can always be seen. Any relationship that doesn't show love is not true love. That can be seen in a husband and wife relationship. That can be seen in a friend-friend relationship. There are many visible evidences of God's love for us. He provides for our needs. And I'm so thankful that we have food and shelter and clothing and that we have life and that we have health. And every breath that we breathe is a reminder of God's love. Historically, God has showed his love in his calling, in his protection, in his redemption of Israel. We know that that has changed. That dispensation of time has changed. And now we're living in a new dispensation of time. And how has that changed? It has changed this way. God's love for mankind has now seen that he sent his only begotten son for us. I'm thankful for that truth this morning. That's what John wrote, that we read to illustrate this, Harry Ironside, he, he, uh, uh, he told about an interaction he had with a lady. A lady came to him and says, I don't have any use at all for the Bible or this Christian superstition. It's enough for me to know that God is love. Mr. Ironside said to her, well, how do you know that? She said, I've known it my whole life. He said, do you think that everyone knows that? Well, yes, she said, everyone knows God is love. Mr. Ironside asked her, he says, do you think that woman in India who is persuaded by her religion to throw her child in the river as an offering to the crocodiles has any concept or idea that God is love? The woman paused and she says, no, that's mere superstitions. Mr. Ironside asks, Do you think that African who bows to idols of wood and stone, trembling lest they should destroy his crops or take away his children or injure him, has any idea that God is love? She says, No, but in every civilized country, we know that God is love. How do we know that, Mr. Ironside has? How do we know that God is love? He went on to say, Do the ancients teach this? Do the other religions of the earth teach that God is love and show that God is love? The only reason that we know that God is love because he sent his son. The book that tells us about the Lord Jesus is the only book in the world that contains the idea that God, behind all created matter, is a God of love, creation, reveals His power, His greatness, and His might. But there's nothing in nature that says God is love. The only way we know that God manifested His love is in the giving of His Son. End of quote. I agree with Mr. Ironside. That's why our Bible is such a valuable, precious resource. It tells us God is love, and He demonstrates that love through His Son. Number two, we see this morning that God's love is costly. It is costly. In verse number nine, uh, we we see that this phrase, only begotten son is used. A while back, an unbeliever asked me a good question. He asked this question, uh, what's the big deal with Jesus? Why couldn't God just create another Jesus to replace him? To an unregenerate, unsaved person, that might be a good question but to us who know the Bible the answer of course is this that God never created Jesus you do understand God never created Jesus Jesus is the self-existent only begotten Son of the Father we find that title only begotten Son just six times in the New Testament it means this one and only it means that Jesus is unique God did not create a Savior for us he sent his son, to be that express image of his person. May I just tell you, it was costly when Jesus sent his son. We should rejoice and say with Paul, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Loving someone is not always the easy thing to do. Sometimes it can be quite difficult. Sometimes it is costly. However, by the Holy Spirit's help, we as believers, we can love people we do not like. Number three, God's love is purposeful. God's love is purposeful. We read in verse number nine God's purpose is that we might live through Him. God not only sent His only begotten Son and, and, and He sent Him into the world to die for our sins. John points out not just the incarnation that He came in the flesh, but He points to the atonement that Jesus died for us. There was a purpose that Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago and our ultimate purpose in loving others should not be that we might feel good but that they, those other people might be blessed because they too have heard about Jesus Christ. Number four, God's love is deliberate. God's love is deliberate. In verse number 10, God's love for us is deliberate and decisive. It is a specific objective act, not a subjective feeling or some type of fleeting emotion. We know this because God initiated our salvation. John writes, Herein is love. Not that I, Brent, love God, but that he loved Brent. That's amazing. We didn't come to God for love. God came to us with love. Verse number 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. One of the most beautiful verses in all of the Bible comes from Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while Brent was yet a sinner, Christ died for Brent. I'd like for us to Quote that verse, and I want you to do just what I did. I want you to insert your name. He didn't die just for everyone else. He died for you. So let's say that verse together, and you insert your name in those two different places together. But God commendeth his love toward Brent, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for Brent. That's also what just say Brent. Yes, that is a true. But he died for you too. It's a beautiful verse in all of the scripture. Godly love loves the unlovely. Godly love loves the unworthy. Uh, who does God love? Uh, do an internet search of all the people. And I just tell you, he loves everyone. Sometimes we get very angry at the rudeness and the stubbornness and the sinfulness of others and we get angry and feel justified in no longer having anything to do with that person. That's when we need to remember that the God who sees and he knows all of our sins does not respond to us in anger and rejection. Rather, he responded with the costliest of all loves and that is the very life of his own son that we might live through him. A commentator, I believe this is in your notes, he wrote this. Is that not love? Does that not grip you? He did it uh, that all the chains of fear, hate, and evil which bind us and shackle us might be broken. These powerful forces within us might be subdued and brought into control. And quarreling, bickering, and abuse might cease between human beings. That is why he came. That it all might be replaced, not by negative nothingness, but by patience, acceptance, and the power to remain calm in order that we might live. Don't naively measure your love by your warm feelings for God in a worship service or in your diligence in reading the Word of God. But measure your love by how you love other of God's children. In other words, measure your love by how you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. His love is measured that way. Stamped forever in history is the greatest symbol of love, the bloody cross of Christ. Number five, God's love is judicial. God's love is is judicial. In verse number 10, John writes that God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now I would say that unless you've read the word of God this week, not a single one of us has used the word propitiation. It is not part of our regular vocabulary. So what in the world does he mean by this great big word propitiation? Propitiation means expiation or or atoning sacrifice. He made us at One with the Father. God is not some indulgent grandfather who just excuses our sins. God's nature is not only love, but it is holy and it is true. Holiness and truth demand justice or retribution. It demands a reckoning, a full payment to the satisfaction of his divine wrath. And that Jesus became our propitiation means that he took our place on the cross. How many of you are thankful for that this morning? You do not have to die on the cross. He sent his son to do that. Jesus bore uh, God's wrath of our sins in our place. I'm so thankful for that testimony. Number six, God's love is exemplary. God's love is exemplary. John wrote this, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Now, if you're marking in your Bible, if you'll notice that little word ought. Ought. Ought means owe it. We owe it to God to love others in the way he sacrificed for us. We are to love one another. We're to love each other. Paul said in Romans 13 and verse 8, Owe no man anything but to love one another. Paul, he knew that he owed God. And because of this awesome example of self-sacrificing love, we dare not offer God ridiculous excuses like this. I just can't love that person anymore. You don't know what she did to me. He's just too weird to love. A preacher wrote this, No one who has been to the cross and seen God's immeasurable and unmerited love displayed there could go back to a life of selfishness. Indeed, the implication seems to be that our love should reflect his love. My friend, a mature, maturing believer will show love for his brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you've experienced this overwhelming cleansing of your sins at the cross, the forgiveness of your unbridled lust, your antagonisms and hatreds, the Bible says you ought, you owe it to love others. Is there someone that you do not love? May God help you take care of that this morning. Help me again. Priority number one is very simple truth. God is Love. Priority number two, can you help me with that? Uh, because God is love, number two, God God loves, God loves us. And this morning, we get to priority number three. Because God is love, because God loves us, God loves through us. God loves through us. Now, let's just recognize this. We serve an invisible God. We cannot see him. We cannot touch him. Maybe to some, when we live in this this world with all of its technology and we can figure things out, it's very difficult for us by faith to believe in an invisible God. John, he writes this. He recognizes this. No man has seen God at any time. And if someone says, hey, I've seen God, that person's nuts. In the Old Testament, there were many images of God. Jacob, he wrestled with him. Isaiah saw him high and lifted up. Moses saw uh, his glory on the mountain. Jesus appeared in what is referred to as pre-incarnate Theophanies. In the New Testament, men saw God when they saw Jesus. John 1 and verse 8 says this, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. Though men have seen, uh, there's been men and women who have seen images and visions and even the, uh, the physical uh, presence of God in the Scripture we, that's been recorded for us, but no one person has ever seen Him in His transcendent, magnificent reality. And that makes it difficult for us. Because oftentimes we want to touch, feel, we want the tangible. So let me explain how it really happens. Our invisible God becomes visible in our love. That invisible God that we cannot see becomes visible in our love. John writes, again going verse by verse, line by line, he says, If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected. That word perfected means fulfilled. His love is fulfilled in us. If no one is seeing God, how can he be known now? The unseen God now reveals himself, not in images and visions and theophanies or fire and smoke off of some type of mountain. He does not now physically reveal himself in his son. That's already taken place. The unseen God is revealed in you. And in me, when we love each other with his limitless love. No one can see the essence of God, but they can see the actions of God in us. Do you remember the story about Moses? Moses went up into the mountain uh, to meet with God. Moses comes back down. And uh, all of Israel, they saw God's glory reflected where? In his face. They saw all the glory of God reflected in his face. They didn't see God because they had been to the mountain, but because Moses had been to the mountain. And God wants his glory to shine in your face and in your life so that when others see you, they see God. Even when you cannot humanly love, God can love through you. He simply waits uh, for you to become willing, and then he does the loving. And many of us are here today, uh, we need to repent before God, and we need to ask him to love through us. Yes, God is invisible. And as long as we love only those who love us, he remains invisible. No one gets to see God. However, listen, church family, in 2022, when we decide to act in love toward those who are nasty to us, who those who are angry toward us, those who are bitter toward us, when we return uh, to them patience and tenderness and consideration and thoughtfulness, suddenly those around us realize God is with us. He becomes visible in our, in our love. Now, I love it when an illustration happens to support the message. I love it when it happens. People may have read the gospel according to Matthew as well as Mark, Luke, and John. and However, when you love those who do not deserve your love, they will read the gospel according to you and you put your name in there. Just last night at 9 o'clock. Shelly and I, uh, uh, the day got started late. You remember how nasty the weather was yesterday morning? It was cold and raining and, and uh, windy and so we were just kind of lazy in the morning and got, really didn't get started until after lunch and we had some things we needed to do and so we took care of those and we realized we hadn't had supper yet and uh, so we were coming back and, and, and uh, we, I said, well, well I'm going to stop here and we were in two separate cars because we don't like riding with each other so we were in two separate cars and, and, uh, and and uh, so uh, I said, well, um, I'm going to stop here. And and, uh, and, and, I, and I said, no, I don't want to stop there. So I just kept driving. And and I told her where we we're going to stop. And I didn't stop there. And I pulled into an, a, a different restaurant um, uh, down on the, uh, toward the south part of the town. Uh, and um, and so we pulled in. And and uh, she's she just shaking her head. I changed my mind like three times while we we're driving to where we we're going to go eat. Well, we walk in and we're talking. And it's it's New Year's Day. And um, and so we order our food, we're talking with our server there, and, and we're, watching the, uh, we're watching our food be prepared. You know where I am if I say that. So we're watching our food be prepared, and, and uh, we pray, and uh, we're starting to eat our meal, and the cook turns around. He says, my name is Carlos. And he said, I prayed this morning on this first day of the year That God would show me that he really was real. So I and I were like, okay. And he looks at us and he saw us pray before our meal and and, and how friendly we were to the server. And and, uh, you never know who's watching you. You never know. And, and we have to be so careful uh, uh, of what others are seeing and what others are watching. We must always reflect the love of God. A cook was watching us pray before a meal and listening to our interactions with our server. And, um, and I tell you, folks, God's love can be shown through you. You can make a profound difference in 2022. 2022. And you could close your Bibles now. I don't think you have any more blanks. If you do, you can get them later. Close your Bibles, and I want to finish with an illustration. Many of us have read the book, Cory Ten Boom's book, In the Hiding Place. This story took place uh, in a church service in Munich. And it is written that there was the former... A German SS man who stood guard at the shower room in the processing center at Ravensbruck. He was the first of those actual jailers that, um, when the Jewish people came in, Corey Ten Boom was writing about the man that, um, that was about to preach a message, and all of those. German soldiers, the mocking, the heaps of clothing, the pain. And the preacher writes, this German SS guard, he came up to me as the church was emptying out now, it's years later. He was beaming and he was smiling. And he said, how grateful I am for your message fallen, to think that as you say, he washed away my sins. Fallen, the preacher, his hand uh, was at his side while this former German soldier thrust out his hand to be shaken. The preacher said, "I preached so often to the people of Blomendal the need to forgive, and I kept my hand at my side." And even as those angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me. I could see the sin of them. Jesus Christ, he had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I pray, forgive me and help me to forgive him. But, oh, I will not forgive. Preacher said, I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed the silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened from my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. All into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it's not on our forgiveness any more than our goodness that this world healing hinges, but on His. When He tells us to love our enemies, He gives along with that command the love itself. I'm going to make a bold statement that I think would be truthful. There's not a single person here that would have more of a beef and a gripe than this man who was in a German concentration camp and saw all of his family, brothers, and sisters killed without mercy. And if he can be Jesus with skin on, and if he can put his hand out to seek forgiveness, there's not a one of us who has been greater wronged. May we learn the lesson, it's time to forgive. I can forgive through Jesus. Let's do it. Let's not try to do it. This is the first Sunday of 2022. This year will be as amazing as we love others. In spite of hardships that you may experience, your mind and body scream, I will not forgive. Through Jesus, we can forgive. We may not be able to forget, but we can forgive. And the journey of healing begins when we forgive. Who do you need to forgive this morning?